KBOO Portland. It's 6 o'clock. Coming up is Preference after these words. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland. The events committee meets the third Monday of every month at 5 o'clock p.m. KBOO Community Radio is working with Beautiful Portland to collect socks and blankets for those who are sleeping outside this winter. There is a collection box in the lobby of KBOO Radio, 20 Southeast 8th Avenue in Portland between Burnside and Ankeny. Donations are accepted Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Steams, Monday. This is Preference. I'm your host, Hedda. We are here this Tuesday evening. We're part of the QT Booth slot. Um, every Tuesday evening between 6 and 7, it's either Preference or Trans Positive. Please tune in and see what we're up to. Uh, we have a few folks, a couple of folks on the telephone and one in studio. Let's start with you. Why don't you tell us who you are how you came to be here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. My name is Damon Mott Story. I am a climate advocate for a local nonprofit that works to reframe climate change as a human health issue. I'm also a uh, lifelong peace and anti-war activist and a member of the local drag community. Hmm. And um, I also sang for two years with the Portland Gay Men's Chorus, including their tour to China with the Beijing Queer Chorus and Shanghai Hyperbolic Singers. Um, and I uh, saw a petition circulating for a sign-on letter um, called Queers Against Pete um, and felt very immediately compelled to sign on and add my name because uh, I've been monitoring the Democratic primary and growing more and more concerned that uh, people are not uh, really fully realizing how harmful a Pete Buttigieg presidency would be for LGBTQ uh, people. Gregory, can you hear us? If I can. Wonderful. Do you want to uh, give us a little brief on who you are and how you got here? We're talking. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, hello. Thank you so much for having us on, Alan. And Gregory? Hmm. How about you, Tams? Can you hear us? <laughs> I can hear you now, yes. Fabulous. Welcome. Hi, <laughs> yeah. I'm Tams, and... I'm located in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm calling um, as part of the group Queers Not Here for Mayor Pete. Yeah. So tell us about Queers Not Here uh, for Mayor Pete. Yeah, well, um, we're basically um, a group of queers um, from different parts of the country. We've got some people in Buffalo, Connecticut, um, and of course, I'm in Massachusetts, and we're just connecting <clears throat> around trying to raise awareness that although it'd be wonderful to have a queer or gay-identified president, that Mayor Pete um, and his policies. All right. <laughs> Perhaps that was all either of them had to say. Uh, well. Let's hope we get them back on. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So, Damon, why don't you kick off t uh, telling us uh, what it is that you're looking for and not finding in Pete Buttigieg's presentation. Oh, sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> Have we got Gregory back, too, or? Um, no, this is just Tams again. Okay. So. Well, let's, uh, let's pick up with you, Tams. Uh, 
Uh, Queer's not here for Mayor Pete. Tell us what's happening there. Or, or, we're not. We're back to you, Damon. (laughs) 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 No, Tams, you can hear us. Okay. You're on. Yes, I I can hear you. Yeah, so, I mean, basically, we were just saying that, you know, queer folks have lots of intersectional um, identities, right? So, some of us are refugees. Some of us are facing racial discrimination. Some of us are housing insecure. Some of us can't afford um, our medicine. And that Pete's policies really leave a lot of folks, especially in the margins, out. So we're just drawing attention um, to the fact that he has a lot of policy inadequacies that aren't really um, aren't really going to help the vast majority of the queer um, community achieve liberation and all the things you know people need to be happy happy healthy and safe yeah i completely agree i think those are all really good points i think uh one really has to look no further than who is funding the pete Judge campaign um it's all massive big corporate dollars um big billionaire contributions from big pharma from the oil and gas industry from wall street um, and his track record and it was really going to guarantee that he's going to maintain the status quo um, and protect the elite at the expense of working class communities. It, to me, the thing that is most concerning is members of the LGBTQIA community that are already experiencing hardship in some sort of a way. Um, here in Portland, we're so acutely aware of how hard the housing crisis is falling upon um, youth and uh, and other folks. And we know that about 40% of uh, youth under the age of 25 who are living on the streets identify as LGBTQ. Um, and those are really the people that I need our next president to be fighting for, not for big donors from Wall Street and the oil and gas industry. Tams, what do you think Uh, Mayor Pete, um, what do you think the uh, selling point of his campaign is from his point of view? From his point of view? Mm-hmm. Well, y- you know, I think he likes to frame himself as like a young, um, forward-thinking, bold um, uniter. You know, he's kind of always trying to say like, hey, we're going to bring everyone together and turn the next page um, and I think he's trying to really strike that kind of moderate middle ground. Um, but I think really what he's doing is just upholding the status quo and all of the systems that have oppressed lots of people in this country. And I think, you know, you see lots of political dissatisfaction because people aren't able to... Um, like afford their medicine students are saddled with so much debt people aren't considering going to college so he's really not addressing a lot of the major issues and instead just sort of trying to almost like silence that by just saying like i'm here for unity and i'm i'm you know thinking in bold new ways but i would say he's not mm-hmm. let's talk about unity what does that mean? Uh, uh, what do you what do you think candidates mean when they talk about being a minority candidate? Hey, Ellen, this is Greg. Is it possible for me to weigh in on that? Sure. Um, uh, so first, I'll say I think I've heard a lot about this notion of unity, um, and I think for me, um, you know, I think especially when we when we're thinking about uh, Mayor Pete, um, that's something that I've noticed that he continues to try to say that he's can, he can be the unity candidate. Um, but, you know, for me, I, I hear that as kind of empty rhetoric um, that's actually not kind of grounded in vision or clarity on policies that he would champion if he would actually be in office. Um, and so I think that's I, I, I think what people are looking for is vision and what people are looking for is leadership. And I think even if that means that one has to, you know, make the case and make the argument for um, what they stand for. I think that's part of politics and part of why people campaign. Um, and so, you know, I think it's I think it's important to yes, you know, I think unity is one aspect. But I think when when 
but I think people are also attracted to leadership and people who can um, who 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 could push a broader vision and a set of policies. Yeah, and I think that also a lot of times political candidates hide behind the phrasing of unity and let's all come together and let's all find our commonalities. They often use that as not a you know genuine, earnest plea for unity, but more of a way to redirect from criticisms that are being uh, directed at them. So that's something that definitely raises my you know red flags. Um, and I would say that just more broadly, the thing that concerns me the most is that um, if folks get really overly excited about him being an openly gay candidate for president, um, they may miss and not notice all of the, the different policy issues that he is not con- not committed to that are the things that the LGBTQ community really needs, right? And so the fact of the matter is we need more queer identified people, more queer and trans people running for office at every single level. Um, but at the end of the day, what are they going to do once they get there and who are they accountable to? Those are the questions that I want to ask of every Democratic presidential nominee. Tams, what about you? What um, what is the, what are the first and foremost questions you have for a candidate running for an office that's uh, well this complex? No, I, I mean I I definitely agree with the accountability piece, right? It's so important, and I think even if you look at South Bend and um, Pete's tenures there, right? He hasn't been accountable to the Black community in South Bend. And so if you kind of take that little microcosm and expand it out, it makes me very worried that he would be accountable to the American public at large. Do you think that there is any um, mayor, I guess, in this country who is uh, responsive to concerns about police violence. I think that most mayors need to be getting better at that. I think especially, you know, Mayor Ted Wheeler has got a long way to go in that here in our own city. Um, uh, It's, it's, I think, um, you know, some some are doing better than others, um, but the fact remains that, you know, regardless of what level of elected office you hold, um, there are far better ways to be accountable to uh, the communities of color that are in your district than in what we've seen from Pete Buttigieg. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you speak a little bit more to that, either you or Tams or Gregory? Um, so let's sort of flesh that out, I guess. Sure, yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's there's one very clear example. After South Bend resident Eric Logan was murdered by the police, um, eight community meetings were convened to discuss the issue, and Mayor Pete mm-hmm. skipped all but one of them. And uh, when he was confronted by his uh, on this absence uh, during a Chicago fundraiser, he said he didn't want his presence to bring the media circus to these important conversations. But um, you know, there's the, 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 he chose his campaign over addressing the harm that was done under his leadership, and I think that really begins to show you know where his priorities are, um, this platform, and uh, building up his uh, his profile appears to be more important to him. Uh, than responding to the concerns of his community. Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that up, Damon, because, you know, to be honest with you, Alan, that w- you know, it was, a, it was an action from Black Lives Matter South Bend who's continued to um, uh, lift this up as an issue that needs to be addressed um, and to con- continue to lift up his lack, Mayor Pete's lack of, of accountability and connection to black, the Black community. Um, and, you know, I'm grateful to them for their actions and their continued organizing and it was seeing their action um, in Iowa that that called me to action and to, to um, uh, join Jess, who was one of the other organizers on Queers Against Pete, to actually disrupt his to disrupt Mayor Pete's fundraiser. Um, and, and I think it's important. And, and I, when I when I think about the Democratic Party and I didn't think about the Democratic base, we have to be very crystal clear that Black voters are have voted consistently for. Um, for Democrats, you know, more than 90% of Black folks supported um, Democrats, and uh, and you know, and when, when I think about the Democratic Party, I also think about LGBTQ people, and um, I think if you think about all those intersections, it's important that we continue to find ways to center those most marginalized and who are directly and disproportionately impacted. Um, and if we can, if if there's anything that you know, uh, Mayor Pete's actions or lack thereof. 
it concerns me about what that would mean um, if he were to be um, uh, president. Yeah. So how did um, how did uh, Queers Against Pete get rolling the petition? Yeah. So. Um, Whichever. Can I say something, Tam? Yeah. Tams? Oh, no. Go, go ahead. Sorry. Okay. Um, so I, I think following the, the, disru- the disruption um, at, the, at Mayor Pete's fundraiser, um, it was clear that um, we wanted to figure out a way to kind of talk about the different ways and the different um, policy stances that were harmful and didn't center um, LGBTQIA communities. And so we felt like it was an easy way to... Um, not only um, articulate our concerns about uh, Mayor Pete's policies or his candidacy for president, but a, an easy way for folks who shared those values and shared um, and who understood kind of uh, uh, how harmful it would be if he were to, to, to be in office. Um, and so we felt like it was a, 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 a next step into getting folks engaged. Um, you know, we're proud to say that since we've released it, um, there are now um, more than 20, 2,500 um, folks who've signed the letter from all 50 states in Washington, D.C. There's also been interest from folks across the globe. Folks in Australia, Brazil, Canada, and England have, have shared um, that they are with us and are in solidarity with us. Um, and we hope to be able to continue to um, uplift this narrative, um, especially as we move forward um, in the, the, the primary process it's going to be a, a, a utmost, utmost important to us to to um, talk about uh, our fresh, uh, our disagreements, but also um, how we feel like um, Mayor Pete's policies aren't going to be helpful, but are actually harmful to our communities. Um, and then along the way, which is you know, I think Tanis can probably talk about this. We we were able to identify and um, and saw that we weren't the only ones who felt this way, mm-hmm. um, you know, and. We were able, luckily, to be able to connect with Tam um, and their group. Queer is not here for Mayor Pete, um, and would love for you to, you know. Uh, and, and, and I know Tam is on, so maybe we can share a little bit about that effort. But it was great to know that there are many different um, segments of the community across the country organizing, organizing around this, and that we could provide another entry point for folks. Yeah, wonderful, Tam. So let's um, let's talk about uh, talk a bit about. Um, Queer's not here for Mayor Pete, and what's next? <laughs> what's next? Yeah. <laughs> well, we kind of started um, over the summer, and we've been working on releasing a series of articles on Medium to kind of address different issues about um, Mayor Pete's policies and his past performance. So um, we're talking about racial justice, housing. Um, his foreign policy and healthcare. So we're going to be continuing to roll those out. We also have an action letter similar to what Queers Against Pete are working toward, which is just getting um, people to sign on to that and just building more solidarity um, with folks who don't feel represented by Pete and his politics um, across the country. So we've talked a little bit about, um, in particular, on uh, racial policing issues. Where else are you finding really strong disagreement among folks with Pete Buttigieg's campaign and his platform, I guess? I mean, it's hard to, you know, probably the thing that stands out a lot for many people is very important is the healthcare issue. Um, this is uh, also an issue where Pete has kind of flip-flops, right? He kind of started out by being um, pro-Medicare for all, and then he added, you know, this caveat of Medicare for all who want it. Um, and I think that is also just tied to who his donors are. You know, that really came about when he started getting a lot more donations from pharmaceutical companies, healthcare companies, um, that he started to then sort of figure out a way to build in this 
you know, privatized system alongside the public option. Um, but I don't think that's going to be adequate for most people um, in the long run. And we can already kind of see that um, where there's huge like accessibility issues, even on the ACA marketplace, right? Like lots of people are putting a lot of money towards plans with high deductibles and they can't use them. If I, if I could also jump in, um, yeah, I, I feel like the healthcare issue is a really big one. And since the work that I do is reframing climate change as a health issue, um, I also see great concerns with the way that Pete Buttigieg is approaching the climate crisis. Um, he, in fact, was disrupted at another rally on January 17th um, by climate activists in Concord, New Hampshire, um, who were drawing attention to the fact that he is still taking money from uh, billionaires who've gotten rich off of the fossil fuel industry. So. Um, while he is claiming to uh, not take money from fossil fuel lobbyists, etc., um, he's still taking a lot of money from people who got wealthy off of the fossil fuel industry. Um, and he's calling for a carbon tax and carbon capture set of policies that have been uh, pretty much dismissed by environmental justice and climate justice communities nationwide as not effective enough for the urgency of the moment that we're in. Um, what we really need to see out of a presidential candidate is um, support for a ban on fracking. I grew up in Colorado where it's absolutely devastating the health of communities. Um, and we're seeing projects uh, proposed in the state of Oregon uh, that would use a huge amount of gas that's derived from fracking um, and increase demand for that extraction. So we really need to see some bolder uh, climate policies from presidential candidates if we're going to actually address the urgency of that crisis. Um, global climate scientists have told us we have only until the year 2030 to have all of our greenhouse gas emissions um, as a world. And uh, if we have any hope of getting mm -hmm. onto that trajectory, the U.S. is one of the biggest contributors to that. And we need to actually take on some really bold practices and not carbon tax schemes that are actually supported by a lot of fossil fuel industries. Yeah, yeah. and just to kind of add on to that is that I always think it's important to note that climate change really impacts communities of color and also, um, you know, lower income communities as well. And even in the United States, we already have, you know, quote unquote, climate refugees, um, people who can no longer live in their, um, in their home anymore because the sea level rise is already occurring. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and if, I, if I could also join in and just in terms of other issues, um, you know, one of the issues that I lifted up um, during the, the disruption was his opposition to universal free um, public college. Um, and, and um, but, the, you know, he also opposes canceling student debt. Um, and, you know, and I think there is also a history of him kind of tearing down hundreds of homes in black and Latinx neighborhoods in South Bend. So when I also think about important issues, I think about housing, especially here in Washington, D.C., that, that's become a, a, a growing um, concern and the need for um, um, affordable housing for, for all. Um, you know, also as an immigrant rights activist, it was, you know, I also want to name and mention that you know, Mayor Pete also refuses to commit to a moratorium on deportations or to decriminalize migration and um, also opposes restoring voting rights of over 230,000 um, um, people who, who are currently incarcerated. And so I think, uh, the queer and trans people who are currently incarcerated. And so I think, you know, there, I think there's a variety of issues across the board um, that, um, that, that we are, are recognize are important and directly, and our uh, directly impact LGBTQIA communities and disproportionately impact folks, especially at the intersection of people of color. Um, and so, you know, I think we can, there's a variety of uh, policies and I'm glad to be able to have lifted up some of them today. Yeah, actually, I'm really glad you brought up immigration, Gregory, because um, we've even seen instances of that in the Pacific Northwest where LGBTQ migrants have been deported and that has put them at risk of losing access to critical HIV drugs, for example. Um, and we've seen other instances in which um, 
LGBTQIA migrants uh, get deported to countries that are really dangerous to be openly uh, LGBT. And um, in many cases, if somebody comes here and lives a life as an out and open queer trans person, then that's going to be really hard to hide if they end up having to return to a country of origin that is um, uh, less accepting and less safe for them to be um, out. So um, I think that these it's what's important to remember with all of these different policies is that um, queer and trans people are at the center of all of these human rights issues, right? They're, they're, we are everywhere, right? So anything that impacts um, people who are housing insecure is impacting housing in- insecure LGBT people, for example. So that's, that really is kind of the common thread throughout a lot of these issues is that um, I, I believe very strongly that we in the uh, gay and lesbian, bisexual, transgender, and queer community need to stand up, not just for uh, people who have you know, made it uh, to some level of uh, financial stability, but for everyone in our community, no matter where they are, no matter who they are, no matter what they look like. Yeah, and I think that's sort of part of our collective efforts as well, that, you know, Pete is is openly gay, which is wonderful, but we also feel that it's important that as members of the LGBTQ um, community that we're also holding him accountable, right, as part of our community, and we're letting um, it be known that there are bigger, you know, issues that are impacting all of us. Coming at this from a little bit of different angle, I think, we don't often hear from mayors or former mayors who want to become president sort of directly. So the whole set of um, there's a whole set of things that uh, you can look to Buttigieg and say, yeah, actually he directly handled this issue or, or in whatever way. He, he, he was a part of this um, development where most uh, let's say senators and, and representatives certainly can skip that. They can say that I deal with this in the abstract, but I only represent people. I don't um, necessarily need to work hands on hands with them. That's Those are local concerns. Do you think that that makes a difference in the kind of um, visioning or uh, rhetoric that um, Mayor Pete uses? Well, I mean, first of all, I think that no matter what level of elected office you're holding, you need to be accountable to the people that got you into that office. Um, so I think that it's actually really uh, false that state senators or Congress people or, or U.S. senators um, should not be sort of directly supporting and helping um, members of their constituency. In fact, we see this pretty often, right? There will be times when, you know, senators will go out of their way to, um, you know, support an asylum case for, you know, somebody who's in 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 some kind of trouble. Um, so I think that, you know, the fact that um, people to judge is a mayor, it's sort of um, not as important as the fact that uh, the policy proposals that he's putting forward are really uh, a, a risk, really threatening. Um, communities that uh, are 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 already experiencing different uh, vulnerabilities. Um, I mentioned that I'm a lifelong peace and anti-war activist, um, and uh, Buttigieg is also supportive of increasing defense spending, which is already 50% of the federal budget. Um, and that is something that people on both sides of the aisle have often supported. And we are long past due needing to reapportion some of that money for the kinds of social services and uh, a Green New Deal that will actually get us onto a trajectory uh, where we are supporting everyone in this country and not escalating uh, endless wars in other parts of the world. Yeah, and, you know, and I, I think to be honest, Alan, I think you know, to build on what Damon said, you know, the fact that Trump was able to get elected without zero years of public service office, um, I think gave people the sense that um, you know that, like, what what does it actually mean to be qualified to be president of the United States? And so I think it really made people feel um, open or that they had a chance at serving in the serving in the role. And so, you know, unfortunately, I think him, uh, Trump being in office has lowered standards, has also em- emboldened and empowered 
um, different folks that to that maybe didn't ha that don't have the type of experience um, uh, that we feel is necessary or important to have in those types of roles. Um, so I think we're just in a, we're in a completely different political climate um, and have to be conscious of that, not only within the context of this election, but in, in terms of the type of organizing and the type of movement building work that we do. Um, and I, I know that's one thing that um, uh, folks have continued to kind of think about and, and, and understand the, the, the impact that kind of that would have on people and their understanding of politics and elections. Yeah, that makes sense to me. By the way, like, I think probably all four of us will vehemently agree that we need to get Trump out of office in 2020. Um, that's absolutely front of mind for me. Um, one thing that's really concerning to me is that uh, Pete Buttigieg has really failed to garner the support of a majority of black constituents in uh, parts of the country that are, you know, answering pol polling questions around who they're going to support in the primaries. Um, and that is a vital constituency um, that is absolutely essential for the Democratic nominee. And so when we're talking about somebody uh, who has the feasibility of getting into this nomination spot and the feasibility of winning the presidency, I don't see the evidence that Pete Buttigieg is that candidate. Um, I think that that's really a long shot and not uh, not worth betting on. Right. And I think he, his campaign is really desperate. For that i think i don't know if you remember but i think he released the douglas plan um which is this really you know sort of elaborate plan to help you know bring about racial equality um you know reparations by another name but not reparations and he released that and then um said that he had some amount of like of black leadership um, to sign on to that, but it turns out that many of them didn't actually consent to signing on at all. Um, so I think that just sort of speaks to the fact that his campaign um, is disingenuous, one, because they, they didn't actually approach the black community for input on this plan, and two, um, that they know they're, they're in trouble here. Yeah, it's a good point. How long do we have until South Carolina? Good question. Can't, it can't be long. Well, South South Carolina is February 29th, and hmm. um, even before that, we have Nevada on February 22nd. And so there's two states who are, you know, much more diverse um, and um, in different parts of the country that I think, you know, um, We'll, we'll, there, will, there will be stories to be told and work to be done in those states as well. If you, Gregory, if you could say, uh, if you had a couple minutes to sit down with uh, Mayor Pete, what would you tell him? Mm. <laughs> well, I would tell Mayor Pete that um, that I wanted. I, that part of part of my work and part of my belief is to be a disruptor, um, to be an organizer, and to 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 speak up and to 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 organize our communities. Um, that that part of that part of my work and understanding is to honor our ancestors and ancestors like Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, um, to interrupt things like white supremacy and patriarchal cis heteronormativity and to be able to do all I can to to push back on that. Um, and then I would say that part of this effort is to try to call him in and to say, you know, it's not fair and it's not appropriate for you to lift up being gay as a check mark for diversity without actually um, being mindful and, and having a vision and a, and a set of platforms policies and a platform that is inclusive of um, LGBTQIA communities that that is responsive a campaign and, and, and a candidacy that's responsive to LGBTQIA communities and and um, to be mindful about um, how that will impact you know us as a community moving forward um, and I think I would also you know push him on you know like that many like th that people like me and others in the community are proud to be who we are and that 
part of part of being proud of who we are is having an intersectional um, approach to our, our analysis, to our organizing, to our movement building, mm. and that you know, and that also means having to also call in and push folks within the community as well. You know, and one of the things I would love to say, if I may chime in, you know, if I were if I were speaking with Pete Buttigieg, one of the things I would ask him is, you know, how does he really feel like this particular brand of uh, moving forward as an openly gay candidate is really actually making life better for LGBTQ Americans? Because from my perspective, it reminds me a lot of the history that I've read uh, about the the 20th century uh, gay rights movement and how prior to the Stonewall uprising, there were a lot of groups that were uh, seeking to uh, convince the general public that uh, homosexual people were no different than heterosexual people. And the thing that feels familiar to me is I'm seeing a candidate who embodies what I uh, and friends of mine call homonormativity, right, of, of living a gay lifestyle that is uh, almost completely identical to sort of the conformed mainstream norm for a heterosexual uh, relationship and family structure uh, that leaves no room for queer and trans people who are living lives that are equally valid but look different from that particular structure, right? And so that that's kind of what I think of when I think of the image that Pete Buttigieg is putting out to uh, the country is that maybe you know maybe that is a good thing that we are having a bit more res- representation in these political arenas, um, but ultimately it was the Stonewall uprising that that kicked off the uh, the 20th century gay rights movement and not the uh, the groups that were quietly trying to convince people that homosexuals were just the same as heterosexual people. <laughs> so that's you yeah. know one thing that really comes to my mind. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say um, we are actually able to go to Providence, Rhode Island, and I'm not sure if you heard about um, that debacle, but the Buttigieg campaign, Chase and his husband set up a um, fundraiser at a local gay bar, and they ended up canceling um, the event and moving it basically across the street to a hotel because there was a dancer pole in the bar and they just they just couldn't deal so they asked the bar um, owner to actually take it down but obviously that wasn't feasible but I think it kind of goes to what Damon is saying it's, he's kind of playing this this um, heteronormative sort of or homonormative kind of um, political game and he's not really meeting the queer communi- community at large like where they're at you know Certainly seems like they could have put a long skirt on it, and no one would have known the difference about what what was underneath. <laughs> well, exactly. And the bar owner was like, you know, Hillary Clinton came here, uh, Barney Frank came here. Uh, you don't have to take a picture next to the pole, you know. <laughs> like, <laughs> it makes me um, pull out the language of pinkwashing. It almost seems as though Mayor Pete is pinkwashing his own campaign. Um, mm-hmm. To make it palatable, absolutely, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we just we have to look no further than our own history and to trace the moments that have moved us furthest ahead on uh, becoming more free, becoming more liberated as as queer and trans people, uh, than to notice that the moments where people were trying to conform to the larger mainstream accepted norm. That weren't those weren't the moments in our history that moved uh, queer and trans rights forward. They were the moments where people boldly declared, often at great risk to their own safety, uh, that we are here and we are uh, different, and that's okay, right? That that difference is part of what makes us uh, special and important, um, and uh, why we deserve, uh, you know, basic human rights. Um, uh, just the same as anyone else, even though our relationships are different and our uh, gender identities and expressions are different. So I, you know, when I think about the kind of queer candidate that I want to see gracing the stages of major debates, I want it to be somebody who's not just trying to fit in, but who is actually uh, boldly taking a stand for uh, expressing themselves as um, as as. A, part of a culture that is really vibrant and amazing. 
Mm-hmm. It's that culture that I see when I perform in drag shows around Portland um, in the incredibly talented friends of mine who are uh, a part of the drag community with me. Yeah, I, 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 that resonates so much with me, Damien. You know, I, the word, the first word as you were talking that comes to me is someone who's un, unapologetic, someone who, it, you know, is their full selves and also inspires other people to be them full self, their full selves. And that's the kind of candidate I want to see. And, 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 and as part of that is ha- being able to um, have a, have a, be able to articulate a vision and a set of priorities that are also align and serve the communities that um, they come from. Yeah. And one of the things I think KBU has been incredibly good at promoting, um, certainly on the trans positive show for sure, is the epidemic of violence against particularly trans women of color that we're seeing in this country right now. And I think that in large part, some of where that comes from is uh, a, a really fierce um, you know, trans misogyny that comes from uh, people not understanding and not uh, respecting the rights of trans people. Right. And so I think that that's uh, a really critical health issue in our, our, our modern era. And, uh, you know, sort of along similar threads, there's still a lot of housing discrimination and workplace discrimination that is still legal at the federal level against people who are queer and trans. And so these are the these are the kinds of issues that we need to be seeing at the front, the forefront of the platform of uh, a candidate that's going to be, you know, sort of looking for brownie points by claiming that they're a part of the LGBTQ community. I'm, I don't want to make it sound like he, uh, Pete Buttigieg <laughs> is only claiming to be gay. That's not what I'm saying. But but uh, somebody who's really proudly trumpeting that aspect of themselves needs to really also be uh, thinking critically and advocating for uh, the remaining civil rights issues that are left unsolved after marriage was legalized nationwide. You know, it, it didn't end at that Supreme Court decision. Um, and uh, we really need to see some leadership from any candidate who's in this uh, in this race. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, and I would all... leadership and oh, sorry, like the urgency around these issues, right? Because Pete, you know, is sort of taking this pragmatic, like unity will get there eventually. But you know, this is life and death for people in our community. Um, and so when it feels like, oh, we need to just wait until everybody else gets on board, it it kind of hurts a little bit not to have somebody out front leading and really advocating and saying that, you know, we are valuable and we're going to put forth policies that will save lives and enrich lives. Gregory? Yeah, you know, I, I, I agree what, with what um, Damon and Tam said, and I think the other thing about this process is that, you know, I, at least I, that I think about in a candidate is, you know, we, we want someone that's all like that is actually going to listen to our concerns and not run and not and not run from them. You know, you know, when confronted with um, um, criticism from the LGBT from LGBTQ media, Mayor Pete said, "I can't even read LGBT media anymore," and I think. All Americans, including the LGBT community, deserve a president who is willing to listen to us, to take our concerns seriously, and, and be willing to help to be held accountable. You know, I, I know that Damon mentioned the example earlier on Eric um, about Eric Logan, um, who you know, a, a black resident of South Bend who was shot by a police officer, missing meetings. Like, you know, if if Pete really cared, he would have showed up to those meetings and and would have potentially used his, the fact that he is running for president as a platform to, to, to lift up Eric Logan's story and some of the asks that Black Lives Matter South Bend had as just an, a particular example. Um, but again, he chose his campaign over addressing the actual harm that was done. And I think that's one of the many examples of how we could assume he would govern in a particular role and even more concern around, um, you know, his candidacy and what his uh, Buttigieg presidency would mean. I actually have um, a comparison to some local Portland politics if you're interested in hearing some thoughts. And and probably there's a suggestion for another uh, radio program in the future. Could very well be, yeah. (laughs) 
I'm seeing a lot of very eerie similarities personally to a, a local race that's uh, currently going on right now for one of the city commissioner positions. Um, so it was announced not that long ago that former Mayor Sam Adams is running against the incumbent city commissioner, Chloe Udaly. Um, and uh, as if, in case people don't know, um, Sam Adams was mayor of Portland from 2008 to 2012 and was the first openly gay mayor of a major U.S. city. Um, an amazing milestone and really did a lot of amazing things for Portland, in my opinion. Um, just uh, a, an incredible expansion of different uh, green spaces and bike lanes and things like that. But he was also pretty friendly with uh, the housing developing community. And uh, there's a lot of, I think, very valid criticisms that some of the things that happened during his administration really accelerated the housing crisis that we now face in Portland. Um, so fast forward to the modern day, and Chloe Udaly has championed a lot of really amazing tenant, tenant protections and renter protections that have helped people to uh, stay in their own places and uh, manage to uh, you know, have some resilience in the face of this really acute housing crisis. Um, they've done things like uh, part of Chloe's policies have been a cap on income to rent ratio requirements. Um, more standardized screening and no rejections based on credit scores that are higher than 500. Um, a really long list of different things that make it easier for people to get into housing and stay in housing. And now what's happening is Sam Adams is, uh, is, has actually used the fact that he's openly gay as a reason why he's not backing down against Chloe Udaly when there are not one but two other open seats that are also up for an election. Um, also, Mr. Adams <coughs> overlooks that uh, Ms. Udaly is openly bisexual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, it's it's there's there's quite a lot of different things going on here. But um, here we see an incumbent candidate who has really fought hard to tackle the housing crisis um, and, uh, in my opinion, really deserves all of our support for continuing to uh, build on that momentum and do more. Yes. And it doesn't hurt uh, um, that Mr. Adams and Mayor Pete have similar youthful, fresh faced looks about them <laughs> where they walk into a room and suggests that they are bringing something new yeah without having to say what that is i want to be clear i think sam adams has done a lot of really great things for portland but i i, I see some interesting similarities here um between uh pete Buttigieg and sam adams for you know trying to kind of grab grab themselves a position of power um, at the expense of uh, the policy issues that really matter the most for the people on the ground. Mm. Well said. Yeah, and I, and I think it's important that we are allowed to have nuanced issues. You know, I'm, I, I think as an organizer and as an advocate and as an activist, I'm clear that it's very unlikely that there's going to be a candidates that share 100% of my values, 100% of my policy stances, and that's our part of our work is to build power and to hold folks accountable to say that it's important that, you know, you have these particular stances. And so, you know, I'm not, I don't think that I am, I, you know, I, I, I am mindful that I have, I can't be naive enough to, you know, believe that, you know, a candidate's going to answer all of my dreams will be the road road to liberation, but mm -hmm. that elections and electing <laughs> candidates is one tool in our toolbox and one tool in, uh, and one strategy that we can take to build power and to, to lift up our communities, but not the only and not can't can't be the only thing that we do. And so I I know that there are other levers for of change that we should also um, utilize, um, but I think elections, especially presidential elections, are an important time to. You know, I think that people there's people are paying different kind of attention, and I think because we have uh, someone in the White House right now that has been such 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 a harm to our communities, um, that there's a different kind of conversation that we can have, and um, I think it's important that we push the conversation as much as possible and to leverage this moment that while there's likely a lot more people paying attention now about elections and politics than normally. And while we can really um, uh, understand that this is also about getting someone who is so harmful to not to like LGBTQIA communities, but to many communities, um, people of color, women, immigrants, refugees, Muslims, and other religious minorities, like he, Trump is someone that we, we must definitely 
um, uh, be make a, a one-term president, and I'm definitely clear on that. And so I think that's another piece I want to share too. Yeah, yeah, I'm so glad you said that, Gregory. I really agree. Um, and I think that the bottom line is that we have other better choices out there. <laughs> We've got candidates that are willing to uh, take a hard stance on banning fracking, on Medicare for all, on uh, you know campaign finance re- reform, and uh, getting big money out of politics. There's all kinds of different you know better policy platforms that exist out there. And, um, you know, Oregonians are going to be having their own primary uh, not too far from now. And um, I think we should all be thinking long and hard about who people are accountable for to uh, before casting a vote, Um, because even though Pete Buttigieg has, um, uh, you know, put himself out there as the open, uh, openly gay candidate in this particular field of Democratic nominees. I think it's very clear that he's not actually accountable to the LGBTQ people that are suffering the most at this point in time. Tams, if you, uh, if you could write Mayor Pete's um, entire campaign slogan for him, what would it be in, in your terms, not his? Walk up what would I? What would I want it to be? His no. slogan. Uh, what do you think it is? <laughs> what is your interpretation of what his? Uh, you know what? What is it, what he's selling himself? What do you see? How would you put that oh, in a slogan man. and then give it back to him? <laughs> I think he's selling himself um, almost almost literally. <laughs> um, available to the highest donor um, with lots of platitudes that are duplicitous and confusing, I think, in terms of really getting to the heart of what he's actually saying, right? It's, um, I think it's, yeah, I I think, I was going to say it's, I think it's stagnation without liberation. (laughs) Sorry to interrupt. No, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I I think that's that's about it, right? Like he's not working toward liberation, but he's um, he's definitely chasing money um, at the expense of of our liberation. Yeah, when you look at polling data for the LGBTQ identified people who do support Mayor Pete, um, it often lines up pretty closely with people who f- also feel that the economic system is working pretty well for them so far. Right. So I think that data really speaks for itself. Um, And, you know, whether you are uh, LGBTQ or not, um, the most important thing is that we need to uh, tackle many of the crises that have been exacerbated during the Trump administration. We're long past due on fixing income inequality uh, and addressing the climate crisis and uh, reducing and ending the endless wars that we've been a part of overseas and uh, and escalating overseas. What about you, Gregory? What words would you give back to Mayor Pete and say, this is what you sound like? Um, I think what Damon said about um, uh, stagnation or status quo, not liberation, definitely resonated for me. Um, I think I would also say, you know, um, um, like, rhetoric but no substance like i think one thing that um you know i i feel like is important is you know i think it's one thing to be able to be a great orator and to give great speeches but you know i i i want to to understand the agenda i want to understand your priorities i want to understand the um, articulation of of how you would govern and the types of um legislation you would push for um, or the types of campaigns that you would lift up in office, and that's one thing I'm 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 not clear on. Um, you know, I think it's it, I think that's another reason why I think it's been important for us to kind of um, uh, lift up or, or or push back on Mayor Pete's candidacy is because you know um, without that clarity or like the understanding of what he would push for, it would make it it make it makes it easy for folks who don't share our interests and and for um, folks like Big Pharma, Oil and Gas, and Wall Street um, to be able to um, influence decisions and policies that are made and 
and frankly will maintain the status quo and protect the elite at the expense of like working class communities and we definitely can't have that yeah indeed so tell us again yeah. uh, where we can find info on the petition careers against Yep. So you can um, find uh, thing, uh, find our website is queersagainstpete.com, queersagainstpete.com. We're also on Twitter. Um, you can hashtag queersagainstpete. Um, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. The one thing that I will say, I need, I, want, I need to correct myself. Earlier on, I said we are at over 2,500 signatures. We're actually over 3,000 signatures, over 3,100 signatures to be exact. Um, and I think the momentum is growing. Um, we we would call on others to 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 join us, um, share, sign it, and share it on social media, and continue the queers against Pete uh, momentum. Thanks, Gregory. Tams, where do we find info on queers on here for Mayor Pete? <laughs> yeah, so we're on Facebook. Um, where you can just search Queers Not Here for Mayor Pete. You can also search for Queers Not Here for Mayor Pete on Medium if you want to find mm -hmm. our um, articles about the different policies. Um, and we're also, the petition should be linked um, on Medium and Facebook, but it's on Action Network. Wonderful. Listen, thanks so much to the three of you. We're going to wrap up. Thanks, Damon, Tams, and Gregory. And you can find me performing as Desdemona Lisa about town. Wonderful. Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thank having you. us. You're welcome. Lobby C free. Okay. The higher you build your barriers, the taller I become. The farther you take my rights away. Faster I will run You can deny me You can decide To turn your face away No matter cause there's Something inside so strong I know that I can make it Doing me wrong, so wrong. You thought that my pride was gone. Oh no, something inside so strong. Oh, something inside so strong. The more you refuse to hear my voice. At the Clinton is a monthly film series that benefits your community radio station. This month's screen is Black February on Thursday, February 13th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater. Black February chronicles a series of concerts celebrating the work of the jazz composer Lawrence D. Butch Morris. Morris is known as the inventor of conduction, a spontaneous jazz form. The film concert footage spans funk to symphonic works, providing insight into New York's avant-garde music scene. Again, that's Black February on Thursday, February 13th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater, 2522 Southeast Clinton Street in Portland. 
More information can be found at kbu.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of the third annual Valentine's Dip, Saturday, February 15th at 10 a.m. at the Willamette Park Boat Ramp. Participants who jump in the river receive entry into the Big Float 10. This event is brought to you by the Human Access Project, a volunteer nonprofit dedicated to transforming Portland's relationship with the Willamette River. Again, that's the third annual Valentine's Dip, Saturday, February 15th, at 10 a.m. at the Willamette Park Boat Ramp on the west side of the river, 6500 Southwest McAdam Avenue in Portland. More information can be found at humanaccessproject.com and kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. We are back in the wonderful, calculated conversation.